All right, people. This is the, the, this this is a big one. This is this is a really really big one. In a continuation, how big of is it? How big indeed is it? This is the first Martin Scorsese new movie that we are reviewing on this channel since 2019's Irishman, our first season, one of the first episodes that we ever did on this channel. Not only that, but it is the first Martin Scorsese movie that I have gotten to see in theaters since 2016's Silence. It is the First Martin Scorsese movie to go directly to theaters post-COVID. This movie is a whopping three and a half hours long. And surprisingly enough, a lot of people have turned out to see it. I believe that this is Scorsese's only, his second highest opening weekend ever, which is insane to me. Like that, that That's actually really cool and really awesome. We're here to talk about the much anticipated, the much talked about. It's finally here. The reviews are in. Everyone has seen it. And Dustin, we are here to talk about Killers of the Flower Moon. You ready? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's not waste any more time. Let's get into it. This is the Killers of the Flower Moon episode of the Talking TV Podcast. Man, Dustin, here we are. After, I, I would say, probably one of the best actor Hall of Fames that we've ever had on this channel. I mean, I, I mean, that's suffice to say. I mean, I, I think that every one of those episodes are, uh, are are bangers. But, I mean, just just as far as that goes, I mean, DiCaprio is is what, there's, he's one of the biggest movie stars on the planet for a reason. And I, I want to start off this conversation by talking about maybe, you know, the, the, what, I, what I like to always do when I want to talk about one of these big movies. I'd say this is probably... The first real big movie that we've had of the fall so far. You know, there have been some movies that have, like, tried yeah, to make a little yeah. bit of a stink. But I, I'd say this is the first one that's really hitting on, like, all the quadrants. Like, for the most part, everybody seems to be interested in, it, in this. It's it's a fall movie in that it's it's not tied to any pre-existing franchise. It's got a big-name director. It's got a couple of big-name movie go. stars. It's about a very uh, relevant subject matter. We'll get to that once we actually cover uh, the subject matter itself. But... I guess just in terms of the cultural climate surrounding this movie, right? I, 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 it, it sucks because unfortunately the, the nature of this podcast, the nature of movies, unfortunately, as far as when we started this, required me to tie every single thing back to Marvel in some way. But I think it's safe to say Scorsese has uh, definitely made a name for himself amongst the younger generations who may not generations of people who may not have been as familiar with his earlier works by making some comments about a certain uh, you know uh, Marvel Studios back in 2019 that has definitely escalated since then. But the good thing is that. Definitely with how things have wrapped up since COVID, I, I think it's safe to say that the culture is shifting much more so to support Scorsese because surprise, surprise, he's ever, everything that he said has been 100% right. You know, the fact that they are, you know, at the end of the day, Marvel is enjoyable as they are. They are theme park movies. They are spectacle based and they have kind of robbed a little bit of the art from the from what it from what it is that, that we love so much about about, about this medium, about, about this about this visual medium. You know, we don't watch it all for the spectacle and the explosions. We watch it for the more the more heartfelt, the more intimate stories that are portrayed by actual, you know, actors, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's funny because I don't think we ever actually talked about the uh, about Scorsese's stance on Marvel. You know, I feel like, because I feel like it was one of those things where you and we, people like you and like I you looked and at it. We're just like, yeah, we, like we were just together, like. we never yeah. talked about it? I don't think so, no. Well, I guess probably because we, we, we agree on what yeah. he was saying, at least. Like, I don't think he's hateful towards it or no. anything. But I, I also think all the people mad at him about those comments are a bit 
uneducated. Yeah, to say the film. least. It, to say the it, least. You know, this is it's one of the greatest. Some people say the greatest limit filmmaker we have right now. And you were saying like, yeah, we have this is probably the first big movie of the fall. Yeah, because it's directed by Martin Scorsese or somebody yeah. on that level, you know, and it stars one of the greatest actors of we have today and probably the best actor who's ever lived in Robert De Niro. You know, so it's like, of course, if it's Scorsese and those two guys in a movie, you're you're going to want to you're going to be a little bit interested. And they have a pretty flawless track record as far as I'm concerned. I haven't watched Gangs of New York uh, fully yet, but until then, they have a pretty spotless track record <laughs> in terms of uh, uh, Leo and uh, Scorsese goes. But uh, yeah, as far as his Marvel comments go, I don't I don't think it's that bad. I don't think they're it's really they're not. They're not it's really that big not. of a deal. It's really the people's reaction to exactly. it. And, exactly. Exactly. The these interviewers are just how many years has it been now? They keep asking him the same question and over right. and over again. And they think it's and I love how they I love how too, movies. Well, I love how too they think that his response is gonna change. It's like right? he's 80, what? He's 80, 81, yeah. 82 years old. I, I don't think his opinions are changing, you know? And hey, like, Mar and hey, hey Marty, what do you think of Blue Beetle? Like, who cares? <laughs> Who gives a shit? <laughs> like, just that's not the kind of movies he makes. Oh, Why would he even? It never has been. It's like who shit? cares? Like, you know? And yeah, it's just it's it's just unfortunate, really, when it's like yeah. like you said, the greatest, arguably the greatest living filmmaker mm. is forced to, to to participate in in the modern day film shenanigans. But like, I guess the reason why I bring that up is because Scorsese. Uh, obviously has talked openly. Again, he, he's one of the people like Nolan, like Tarantino. The thing that sets him apart and makes him one of the greats is the fact that he is all about the preservation of cinema as an art form, not just as like another... For I, I, I don't even know what you could compare it to, but basically he's all about the preservation of it as like being not pure, but like just, you know, maintaining what it is that we love about it, which is at, at the end of the day, it's true. It, 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 in, in, in an existence in which so much of our lives that we live is just lying and surviving and getting through the day. He is one of the people who puts up like actually, you know, expressing truth above all else. And that's one of the things that he has always, that has always set him apart. It's a reason why he's influenced so many people. Obviously, you know, David Chase and pretty much the entirety of the Sopranos. He has said, yeah, it's like without, without good bells, we wouldn't have this show. You know, it's the fact that he, in every one well, of his mean movies, streets, yeah. I mean, mean streets, obviously that's another example. You know, again, we, we covered him when we did our Scorsese hall of fame last month. Again, I mean, he comes back to it over and over and over again. He's no matter what. And obviously, again, people always map the, you know, the, the crime thrillers and the gangster movies onto him as well. But at the end of the day, he's always about telling truthful, truth, truthful stories about human beings at the end of the day, which I think yeah. is the hallmark of any great director. But I mean, again, it's a, you look at even his non, you know, uh, uh, crime related movies. I mean, he always has elements of crime in all of his movies. I, I think particularly in this one, I'm, I'm going to be very interested in order to break down like how we kind of like map some of his. Uh, some of his uh, uh, crime storytelling techniques onto what of, in any other hands would be kind of sort of like a traditional Western, you know, like like yeah. a, a, sort of the genre bending that he does there. But like you look at what he does with something like Color of Money, something like, uh, you know, like an example of something that I haven't seen, but that you've seen, like Bringing Out the Dead, something like um, like even, even, you know, Gangs of New York, which which is more of a period piece for me uh, centric than anything else. You know, Aviator, all of his movies, you know, they all just get down to, you know, the, some are a little bit more pulpier, some are a little bit more over the top than others, some are a little bit more subdued. But at the end of the day, he's always about telling the most truthful uh, experience, the, the, telling the story about the most truthful kinds of human experiences there are, you know, and, mm -hmm. and obviously, you know, back in the day, people were like, oh, you know, it's a little bit too over the top and a little bit too depraved. It's like, yeah, but that's how people act.
in this sort of environment. You know, the reason why we keep coming back to Wolf of Wall Street is because that's how fucking guys act in that scenario. The reason why we keep coming back to Goodfellas is because that's how guys act in that scenario. You know, it's like time and time again, he just, he nails it and he, and he's always trying to go for it. He's like, what is it that we relate to? What is it that we see in this, you know? And 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 not always the good parts, you know, because you hear people talk all the time about how it's like, oh, you know, this isn't made for me. Therefore, I can't relate to it. And it's like, okay, first of all, if you're saying that, you clearly don't understand the purpose of movie making in general. And second of all, it's the, the reason why the greats are the greats is because they try to make movies for everybody. But it, at the end of the day, it's you understand that you're getting their perspective on the world. They are not trying to map out the end-all, be-all take on what human beings are like. They are just simply offering up their perspective, but as truthful as it is. And Scorsese, to me, is just one of those guys that has constantly nailed that time and time again. And I, I don't know. What, what, what are your thoughts on that? I agree with you. I think he's definitely an expert of the human condition. He just knows how people act and what makes them tick and uh, and just what makes them interesting. I mean, his like he barely, the only movie of his I'm not a fan of is Casino, like I've said. Like I, everything else, even Hugo, I think like he just brings so much humanity and uh, just into everything. And I just I think he's my second favorite filmmaker behind Tarantino easily. I think he's incredible. Yeah, yeah, he's he's up there for me. I go back and forth all the time. It's always the triumvirate. It's always him, Nolan, and and Tarantino because I just mm -hmm. e each one of those I feel like just represents. Love each Nolan of, too. Yeah, yeah, it, it just they, they just each represent to me like one of the three pillars of everything that I love about film. You know, Nolan with the technicals, Tarantino obviously with just the love of cinema, and and Scorsese just with the, again with 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 his truthful portrayal of the human condition. It's like to me, those three things are the three pillars of cinema. You know, the technicals, the history and the humanity, you know, like mm -hmm. those are the three things I always look for in, in all of, uh, and I think those three things to me, a, a truly great film has to exemplify those three things. I feel like if it's missing one, then it just, it, it, it just, it doesn't hit the same, you know, but mm -hmm. that brings us into, so this is, I don't even know what number film this is. I'm not even going to try it. I, I, I think it's somewhere like in like the thirties, as far as how, how, how many films he's done. Um, uh, what's it called? This is his, um, this, this, so, this, so this is also going um a little bit uh you know into into other storytelling you know the last kind of non uh uh what's it called in his wheelhouse I guess you could call it because I feel like when it comes to Scorsese movies there's always like the, the two types of Scorsese movies there's the Scorsese movies that people think of as being typical Scorsese movies you know your Goodfellas your Mean Streets your Wolf of Wall Street your Departed all the all that above and then there's the movies that you're like Scorsese directed that you know which are your movies like. Uh, I, I mean, obviously, in hindsight, this this is now obviously become known as a Scorsese movie. But like your, you know, your Last Temptations of Christ, your Kundunes, your Ages of Innocence, your Color of Monies. For for me, most recently, the movie that I that I watched it, and I'm like, this is amazing. And I'm like, Scorsese directed this. Like I knew he directed it going in, but obviously, in hindsight, I'm like, because it was just so different. What I known from him up until this point was was Silence, you know, which was the last oh, yeah. Scorsese movie. But for me, the first Scorsese movie that I ever saw in theaters, and the last one that I'd seen, obviously, prior to uh, 2019 and the COVID lockdown, obviously, because Irishman went directly to Netflix, you know. And as much as I enjoyed Irishman, I, I enjoyed his more methodical take on it. I'm like, okay, he's done this type of a story before. At the end of the day, you know, sure. and I'm, I'm like, and again, nothing against that movie it's still a masterpiece for what it is and and, and kind of his different uh his different his, his want to examine a similar type of story that's done before but from a much different perspective i think is the most commendable thing about that movie but at the end of the day i'm like there was still a little bit of a sense of seeing this before from irishman which is why again i didn't exactly 
disagree. I I, I I saw where some of the some of the some of the disagreements for that movie were coming from. Going into Kills of the Flower Moon, however, I'm like, okay, so he's essentially making a western, you know, but that's like the most bare bone, basic, generic blanket right. term that you could map onto this movie. Because no one's Scorsese. I'm like, okay, this is not gonna be like 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 a John Wayne or like a Kevin Costner movie, you know, like this is gonna be very methodical. It's gonna be very, uh, you, you know, intrinsic. It's gonna be you're you're gonna be getting deep in, into these people's souls and minds, you know. And More I remember hearing back in the day, piece. yeah, right, like uh, period, the period, these elements as well. Yes, yeah. you know, and 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 the casting starts getting announced. I'm like, okay, so not only this isn't just gonna be with DiCaprio, this isn't just gonna be with De Niro. This is the first time we got a both for the price of one in a in a Scorsese movie, which I believe this is the first time that's happened where we got both of them in one Scorsese movie. You know, obviously, the, you know, it's DiCaprio's sixth movie he's done with him. It's, it's De Niro's tenth that he's done with him. And obviously, you know, they, they announced other people were like, okay, Jesse Plemons is in this. You know, there was one point where during the pre-production, he didn't know it was like, okay, who the lead character is going to be. I'm like, you can't expect me to believe that that, that Jesse Plemons is going to receive top billing over DiCaprio and De Niro. I'm like, that, that's just, there's no that universe in which awesome, that's happening. That would have been know, cool, but I'm like... That would have been really awesome. That would have been really course, cool. Leo would, would never allow that. No shot. No, no, no shot at all. Never and allow that. No. So obviously, you know, going in and figuring out more, I'm like, okay, so this is going to be another instance of where, again, he's he's talking about, you know, the exploitation of the Osage Nation after they discovered oil on their land in, 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 in the reservation in Oklahoma, circa around, like, what is this, like, like, and like 1918, I think they said, is when this starts, and it ends sometime around, like, that, around, like, the mid-20s, and how long this went on for, about how essentially how you had this one guy who was essentially reigning supreme over this one Indian reservation and kind of systematically like picking them off so that he could like channel their their money that they were getting from the oil back to his own family, which is like one of the craziest ideas for like a crime story. But I'm like, this is so insane that in Corsese's hands, this is going to be just interesting to watch. And so all yeah. that being said, right. And the biggest thing, obviously, and you could go to, but I liked how they handled this. I liked how they, they were trying to handle the length arguments before they even came out, you know? Because it's like uh -huh. Cameron Wright was talking about this last year when Avatar 2 came out. And he was like, yeah, I'm sorry, but anybody who goes and watches eight episodes of Stranger Things but complains about, in a row, but complains about how fucking long my movie is, is full of shit. So I'm glad that Cameron kind of got the ball rolling there. And so that, like, I feel like when it came to, like, the length of, of, uh, of, of, of what this was going to be. Well, it also helped that we'd also gotten like, you know, this has kind of been the year of three hour long movies, you know, between John McFour and Oppenheimer and all the other movies. Like we've, we've been getting a decent amount of three hour long movies this year. So mm. this being three and a half, I feel like it wasn't that big of a stretch, you know? I, I, I There's also the Apple TV component of this as well, but I think it's kind of interesting because while obviously Apple TV is the reason why this movie is made, uh, I think it's interesting because this is the first movie that Apple TV has put in theaters exclusively, right? You know, this isn't one of those day and date drop for in theaters and on streaming. Like this is exclusively playing in theaters. It does not have a release date as far as when it's coming to streaming. So like the people are like, okay, if you want to see this, you have to go out to a to a theater to see this. And now that we've finally seen it, you know, you got to see it a little bit earlier than me. You saw it on th Thursday, right before mm -hmm. we did our DiCaprio Hall of Fame. I saw it on Saturday. And mm -hmm. now that we have finally seen it, Dustin, what are your initial thoughts on Killers of the Flower Moon? I think Killers of the Flower Moon is very, very good. I'm not in love, but I do very much like it. And I've, I, I rewatched most of it last night on the camera, you know, online just to mm -hmm. see. Because I just wanted to refresh because that's a lot to take in. Yeah. To me, I know you're going to argue that Irishman felt longer, like, but at least, like, 
I like it was it, it was more engrossing to me and more like it, it was less information dump on you. Like there was like so many things. And by like the last scene of the movie, which we'll get into, like it's just a you really have to pay attention to that to, in order to get every single detail. But I think it's a you know length notwithstanding, which honestly I'm not that I'm not usually that guy that complains about length unless like. It's really fucking long, and I think this was really fucking long. And I and I and I'm all for long movies, but and I'm usually all for Scorsese's long movies, but this it definitely could have been trimmed a little bit, a little bit, just a little bit, just to quote De Niro. <laughs> but uh, other than that, I do think it's very, very good, and it's obviously one of the best movies of this year because this year is garbage. But. Uh, yeah, Scorsese is a, a master at what he does, and uh, we'll get more into it. I did very much like it, though. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. Coming out of this, I, I really, really enjoyed this. This is definitely one of the best of the year. But I wanted to go back to that point that you brought up. Because again, I, I know you you and I have talked about this so many times on this podcast. We're like blue in the face, which is like the idea of just the, the nature and overall quality of what movies are now. And like kind of the movies that we get now that we that we view as as our favorites. And we're like, yeah, five, six, ten, ten years ago, this would have been like a mid-tier movie. But now because of the nature of the year that it comes out in, it's one of the best ones. And I find that interesting because that was one of those things that, that was one of those instances where I'm like, I am hoping, I am hoping to Christ that Scorsese can beat it. I'm like, if anybody, if anybody oh, yeah, can beat that did, mantra, yeah. it's him. And he does. But at the same time, there was this lingering thought in the back of my head throughout this entire movie, which I did enjoy. Again, I really, really enjoyed every minute. I'll, I'll get into my thoughts in the light in a minute. But there was this lingering thought in the back of my head where I'm like, if this was 2018 and me watching this in 2018, 2017, you know what? That's not fair because I, I even those years I hated. If I was watching this movie in like say 2014, 2015, would I have enjoyed it as much as I am watching it in the year 2023? Obviously, you know, my age at that I was at the time versus what I am now, notwithstanding. But I'm just saying, like, if you were to take me with my mindset now, and if this movie had come out in 2014, it, it wouldn't. It just it wouldn't have hit the same way. And I know it, and I know it in my gut, and I hate it. I hate that so much. We but we are at the, the right future. age. We are at the right age for it now. I would say. I think this would have totally went over our heads, and we would have been a little bored by it if we were like fifteen, sixteen when we saw this. I don't know. I, I yeah. This is definitely one of his most depressing movies. Also, oh and yeah, it's, and it's dreary and it's so long. But besides that. The thing that kind of like makes this movie kind of vital is the fact that it is a true story. Yes. You know, this shit happened. Yes. And it's evil. And it's like, yeah, I, and by that third hour, it's just like, yeah, I get it. It's insane. Yeah. And how many we're, we're seeing the same scene over and over again. But like, yeah. other than that, like, I, I, I think by the time Jesse Plemons and Brendan Fraser come into the picture and like in the last 45 minutes or so, I think that's when it gets a little bit more on track. I was a big fan of that. Uh, the last five minutes of the movie, but yeah. the, the last shot is what kind of, uh, it was, it was kind of preachy that last shot, but I, yeah. I, 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 for the most part, I did very much enjoy this, but it was very, very bleak and just, yes, it was, it, it just felt like it was just doing the same thing uh you know over and over again uh but not in like a casino way right in my opinion which which was repetitive to a to a, a great quite egregious degree which, um yeah which i could elaborate on because i did for dumb, some dumb fuck reason rewatch that last night oh god why uh, 
I don't know. I, I really love that Joe Pesci performance, you know? Oh, and that whole time, this is another name I was thinking of for the De, for the De Niro performance, uh, who should have been De Niro in that movie, Richard Dreyfus. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. They need I, I don't I don't mean to sound anti-Semitic, but they needed a Jew in that movie. They, I no, just don't buy De Niro as a well, as a Jew. That, and also and, just for, I, I feel like for, for what's all. required for what's required for that lead part, for what's yeah. required for that lead part, like the, the type of energy that De Niro brings, normally he always jives well with Scorsese, He's but it's just kind of doing work. Jimmy Conway in that, don't you? Yeah, think? it just it, it doesn't it doesn't Jimmy work at all. Yeah. yeah, at all. But so, but so, but so, as far as Kills of the Flower Moon goes, I guess mm -hmm. just kind of because you're right, because we talked about this a little bit in terms of like the Irishman length versus Kills of the Flower Moon. I'm a little bit of the opposite side of the fence. I think that Irishman felt just a tad bit too long versus this one, and it might have just been because of the Netflix versus in theaters thing. You know, in theaters, I'm forced to sit there for the whole three and a half hours versus when I was watching Irishman. I definitely know I did not watch all three and a half hours in one sitting. I definitely took breaks and went and used the bathroom. It's funny. I always tell the story when I was watching Irishman. It was the perfect buffer because I was watching it on Thanksgiving Day. So basically, I would go in. Watch Watch an hour, go back down, chill with my family when I needed a break from them, come back up, watch another hour of the Irishman, then go back. And it was kind of like all worked itself out. So, and and I don't know if I necessarily it would have been the same experience if I had watched all three and a half hours of it in a theater. But I will say that kind of, I don't know if it, this is a result of me watching this in theaters as opposed to waiting for it and watching it at home or not. But there was just something about the theatrical experience and me being forced to watch and endure every minute of it it kind of, in a way, like, all the pieces kind of meshed. So, like, even though, yeah, I felt the length, there was never any point where I'm like, okay, when is this going to end? You know, because that, to me, is always my measurement of the length of a movie. It's not necessarily how long it actually is. It's, again, it's the thing that they always say. It is the story. Like, put it, like, let me put it this way. Uh, Priscilla, which I saw last weekend, right, at New York Film Festival, is an hour and 40 minutes, and it felt like three hours. I'm like, after a certain point, I'm like, I'm like, okay, I get it. When is this going to fucking end? Seriously. Versus this movie, I'm like, I kind of, after a certain point, I'm like, I kind of know where it's going, but I'm still interested in it and I'm, because I'm like, I'm invested in these characters. I'm invested in what's going on, which is kind of crazy when you consider just how despicable and how awful, like even by Scorsese standards, Scorsese's brought us some of the most heinous characters that we've ever seen on screen. And the fact that he somehow tops that in this movie with some of the, like, like, let me put it this way. Some of the more problematic characters that he's brought to the screen before, you could argue that it's like, okay, you know, they're 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 enjoyable to watch. You know, yes, they're they're awful people, but they're enjoyable to watch. Th these guys were not enjoyable to watch. It really wasn't. Like after a certain point, the fact that you were watching just pure, not even yeah. just the thing of where it's like, oh, you know, they, they, there's like a Robin Hood element of it. You know, they're not as well off, so you can sort of sympathize. Now these are like already like extremely wealthy and well-off people yeah. who are just purely taking advantage where they can you know and there's just something yeah. that just feels a little bit more shitty about that i don't know i don't know if i'm going to compare the mafia to like whatever they were in this movie just fucking evil well i guess just in terms of like they, like they, different instances know. of crime you know different oh absolutely like i guess this was more uh premeditated that's for sure because for sure I guess that was sort of a flaw I had with this movie was that like De Niro, who by the way, MVP, MVP of the movie, De Niro. Yes. We'll go. We'll yes. talk more about him, but he pretty much spells it out right in the first like 15, right. 20 minutes of the movie. Is it's like no, you need the head rights. She, you, you, you know, she, she's got blood rights. Whatever he said to him in the right. beginning, like oh, she's got blood rights, and you, you should go for her. And like he was pretty much nudging him along into like 
right. convincing him. No, to be very like, deliberately, yeah. very, very yeah. deliberately was, was playing the playing the chess master there. Like he knew so exactly what he was doing. That already kind of gave away what the movie was, in my opinion. Where it's just like, so once the murders kept happening and happening and happening and happening, I was just like. <laughs> yeah, you already kind of gave it away. Like, what's right. like, is this supposed to be a mystery or is this just supposed to be an examination of how awful white people were back then <laughs> to Native right. Americans, which they fucking were. I mean, that's yeah. not arguable. But um, yeah, it's definitely the latter. And for that, I think it is fascinating. And you, you're right. You hate watching these characters, but at least that's kind of the point of the movie. I think it definitely had more of a point than what Casino was doing. Oh, yeah. In my opinion. Oh, it, yeah. I, so I still don't know yeah. what the purpose of making Casino was. Because to me, there's yeah. absolutely nothing that he got across in Casino that he didn't already get across in Goodfellas to me. And I don't know there are exactly. people who have made arguments about that, but I'm sorry. I don't buy any of them because none of them make sense. I'm like, there's it's, nothing that I got from Casino that I didn't already get from Goodfellas. It's Goodfellas with a slower pace. Uh, weaker, just a slightly weaker ensemble, definitely a weaker script than Goodfellas. Yes. That's for sure. I mean, most of the best lines of that movie are definitely improvised, I would say. Like, I, I like you could tell that the script of Goodfellas just structurally is way more sound and airtight than the script for Casino. Yes. But, like, I was rewatching that last. I'm sorry to bring this up, but I have to compare it to Killers yeah. of the Flower Moon. Like, I kept complaining to you about Lily Gladstone getting poisoned like 17 right. times in this right. movie right. it's still it's still not as annoying as every scene with sharon stone coming correct. back to the house correct. over and over again like i leave you i hate you I don't like yeah. that's like just annoying that's like annoyance porn that's like a term i've coined over the years like that's annoying annoyance porn yeah this movie like this shit happened to this poor woman yeah she she had such a fucking awful like <laughs> this this kind of reminds me of the story of the von erics but this it, that didn't involve somebody orchestrating the murders you yeah. know obviously but like just the toppling of the siblings in this movie is yeah just, it's almost it's insane it's a little coincidental <laughs> well, well, I, well i guess just because like in terms of so in, in order to bring it back to your point about de niro and kind of like spelling out the whole plan and yeah. essentially the, the whole plot of the movie i guess just in the sense of like for me that works from from a sure. script writing and like from a from a storytelling perspective you know it's like where, where because there i've seen other instances of movies before where they tell you exactly what's going to happen in the opening couple of minutes and then they stick to it to a degree where it's like <laughs> because that's the emphasis is like they, they want to mm -hmm. emphasize they're they're telling you straight up so that you know going in, you know, um, exactly what you're going to get because of how harsh and how, um, and just, again, to portray just the evil of these characters that you're watching. And I guess just in terms of, like, watching, for me, just one of the most different kinds of crime stories that I've ever seen. I guess that's kind of the best way that I can describe it. I really, I really can't think of any other movie that this immediately reminds me of, you know, just obviously again, we've seen movie plenty of movies before about the integration of like, you know, whites versus native Americans, but uh, it's always the same. It's always the same white savior trope that we've seen over and over yeah. and time and time again, you know, it's like the one, the one good one who's comes to see that, you know, the, 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 the persecutor are being persecuted and then teams up with them to get, to kill off all the bad ones. That's not what this was at all. If anything, this is almost like a flipping that on its head where you have DiCaprio who traditionally has played, you know, the handsome leading guy. And here, obviously, you know, he's a little bit more run down. He's playing very, very dumb. He's got the gut. You know, he's got the nasty teeth, which he wants to show off every couple seconds, you know, going more so into our thing about DiCaprio where DiCaprio 
always again is 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 the perfect lead, but always wants to get a little bit more charactery and kind of how you essentially watch him cut this this character as you talked about kind of gets strung along and and played along. Like at the end of the day, he's just another pawn in this plan. But it's interesting watching the dichotomy of his character, where this is a character who thinks that he's in such this great position, only to realize at the end that he was just another pawn. But that doesn't excuse anything that he's done. Like, he still is, he is just aware of just how heinous the actions that he's committing are. While at the right. same time having absolutely no knowledge that he's a pawn. And, it's, and I understand what you were saying now in terms of this being like a really tricky kind of a performance to pull off. And if it was anybody else other than DiCaprio in that part, it would not have worked at all. Well, maybe Gyllenhaal could have done this, actually. Maybe, but... I feel like Gyllenhaal could have fucking been better in this movie because I... Really? I, 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 just I, I don't find, know. I don't... I, while I do think he is brilliant at points in this movie, I do feel like Leonardo DiCaprio... I don't know. Maybe he doesn't want to play stupid characters, but, like, this is... He's too smart to play characters this that are supposed to be as dumb as the character he's playing in this movie, if that makes any sense. And that's just a slight nitpick because there's like halfway through the movie and like or over halfway through the movie. I'm going I'm saying to myself, yeah, he knows what he's doing. Right. And then he, like a scene or two later, he's right. acting like he's oblivious. And I'm just like, no, but you were aware like a. I was just that was the only little complaint I had about him. Other than that, he was phenomenal and terrific uh emotionally uh resonant performance you hate this character as much as you like this character and feel bad for him it's a very tricky performance like i said the other night but uh it, i it, barring that little uh you know uh nitpick i have i do think he still gives a great performance in this however de niro really steals Dude. the movie for me as like, oh my god! Like it's so funny because I still remember back to pre when the Irishman came out, and everyone was ready to write De Niro off as being like, you know, he's done. He's just doing yeah. a bunch of paycheck movies now. And then when I heard that he was back with Scorsese, I'm like, well, he's back with Scorsese right? for the first time since Casino. Ironically, you know, I'm like, there's no way that they can screw this up. And then he killed it in Irishman. Oh, I still I, think that yeah. I still think that of all of the of all the lead performances they skipped over for the best actor race of 2019 again another instance where another best actor race where they just screwed the pooch on so many different choices well, we're arguably the only three most people. egregious yeah yeah uh, but him not getting nominated for that when both pacino and pesci got nominated was sure. absolutely ridiculous but this one i mean there's no way he can't be nominated for this right this is not only that the best be performance crazy. that he's given since years in years but Hard, hard press to say that at, at, at eighty, at eight, exactly eighty years of age, I would know we share a birthday. Fun fact, but oh, cool. um, but this might be one of the best performances of his career. Holy shit! Like, well, I've never seen 20. him. Yeah, yeah, I've I've never seen him give a performance like this before. Like, I I honestly I cannot. There's still a lot of Robert De Niro movies that I need to watch. I've still never seen Untouchables. I've never seen Angel Heart. I've never seen uh. The, 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 there's a lot. There's a long list of Robert De Niro movies that I still need to watch. But yeah, I gotta watch Angel Heart. Yeah. But um. Yeah, this, this 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 performance is incredible. It's just he just how he is literally playing this this charming, smooth, charismatic. It's a mix of like southern, but he also he speaks that he speaks the native tongue, so that gives him like a little bit like more edge and authority. And he does such a good job of playing back and forth between like the, the kindly, gentlemanly grandfather yeah. versus the you know the conniving, uh, manipulative of you know mob boss. You know, like they, like it's yeah. the one instance where I was like, yeah, this is what he's like, like playing the boss. You know, because in a weird way, like. 
We've never seen De Niro play like the boss outside of like Al Capone in The Untouchables, which is a little bit more corny oh, yeah. and over the top and a little bit more campy, you know? But this is the first time where he's essentially, he's the Don. He's the guy. He's the puppet master. He's the one pulling all the strings. Again, he never gets angry or frustrated unless he's dealing with incompetence. But for the most part, no, he's, he's the chess master. And just seeing him get to play this part in such a way that's like, so different from any of the other performances he's given. It, 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 again, it's masterful work. And it, once again, it's a reminder that he is one of the best, if not the best living actor that we have right now. Yeah, he might be the best of all time, honestly, because I was looking through my list and he might have more great performances than any other actor. Yeah. Like he really might. And I, just every everything from his first scene uh, with Leonardo DiCaprio to the scene where he's paddling his ass. It's just, it's fucking that, that scene. I was like, that, what the fuck is happening? But I, yeah. but I still understood every single minute of it. I'm like, I know exactly yeah. what's going on here. He's intimidating in a different way than he, than he's ever been before in a movie. And it feels like the most uh, chameleonic he's been in years. And again, comparing it to him in casino, like he just, feels so much like a totally different character in this movie than he's ever played as compared to, you know, Casino, where he's just playing Jimmy the Gen again, even though he's supposed to be playing this Jewish guy. Uh, so it's just brilliant work. Going on to Lily Gladstone, yes. who is getting a bunch of buzz, and she's probably going to win Best Actress for shallow reasons, but she is excellent in this yes. movie. Yes. Uh, I wish she was in it a little bit more because the last hour and a half really relegates right. her to the bed. Uh, but other than that, she when she has to really deliver those quiet, powerful moments, she really shines. Yeah. Especially opposite Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, she I has, agree. And she hasn't been in that many huge movies like this. She right. The, the, the biggest thing that I've seen her in is she plays. She played a pretty, a very small but pretty significant part in the last two seasons of Reservation Dogs. She plays uh the, the character of Freddie. Oh, many people who've okay. seen that on there. She plays the character of Willie Jack's aunt on there in in a a penultimate season two episode that was particularly really really emotionally resounding and and uh and uh and she comes back to play. Again, a similar part of the season. I, again, you, you really got to watch Reservation Dog. That is a show that just surpassed my expectations in oh, every like single part. I, I think you would. It, it, it took me a little bit of time to get into it because I wasn't really sure what kind of a show it was. But once I got used to its tone, and that, that season two finale really, really hit me. And it really, really hit me hard, you know, in, in a way that I was not expecting. And then it just wrapped up its run. It finished its third and final season over the summer. And the, the finale, it, it, it got me. It did an interesting oh, thing done? where. Yeah, it finished. Yeah, it's done. Oh. Yeah, okay. that physical sex education, they all they all wrapped up. They're all done. All of those shows. Well, the so, last two, I, I figured, but like the yeah. first one, I didn't I thought that was a hot new show that people that was gonna be on for a few more it, years. It was. I, I thought it was too, but no, but if anything, I commend them even I commend the creator Sterling Harjo even more for it because he had his story that he wanted to tell and he yeah. realized like, yeah, this is done, this is done. And like he and real and the with the with the way that season three wraps up, it's like, no, nah, this this wrapped up perfectly, you know, especially because it was one of those situations where after season two, I'm like this is the show. They wrapped everything. They, they can't do anything else after this, you know? And then they do it for season three and now it's going to be the last one. I was heartbroken, but I'm like, this is probably for the best. And as far as, and as far as I'm concerned, they killed it. But no, Gladstone, she kicked ass in that show. And if anything, like put it this way, that show made me aware of how good she was going to be and why she was going to be so good uh, for this part. Because again, that's again, like all the other performances, it's a tricky performance to nail where, Again, I, I was so waiting. I'm like, okay, she's going to be like, you know, the, the modern femme boss where she's going to just be, you know, oh, look at these white men coming in to take everything from us, you know, and we've got to do something. But she 
doesn't in a weird way, you know, like, it, it, like, like, it, again, it, it's one of the hardest things to wrap your minds around where it's like, again, like all of these, these, these Americans, these Osage um, uh, nation people are, are questioning and wondering where all these murders are coming from. And I'm like, and again, in a, in a dumber, more poor written movie, I would be yelling at the screen, being like, those fucking guys over there that are controlling everything and you guys can't figure it out but because of again just how well written this is and how methodical it is and how it establishes it's like yes they have been ingrained in the community for years on end they've probably been dealing with this for years you know they're they're they're, they're, they're probably just used to it you know and and it's the 20s it's, it's easier to get you know it's easier to get away with crime in the fucking 20s exactly exactly that helps but again it's the fact that uh, th that again you're following lily gladstone the whole time and you're with her every single step of the way and it helps that she is the 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 most sympathetic character in the movie because th again there's a lot of stuff that because pretty much everything that's happening is happening just outside of her peripheral well, every and, indian and... is the most sympathetic character it's true in the movie. true but but she's like the, the but she's like the focal point you know oh, sure. especially since since like you know she essentially has to watch her entire family get murdered in front of her you know like her all of her sisters the, the the guy who's revealed to be her first husband and they haven't technically divorced her mom you know dies of old right. age and then her and the fact that freaking DiCaprio for the entire last hour for, for the entire like middle hour of the movie is basically like systematically poisoning her and she barely survives you know finally when Jesse Plemons comes in at the end they're gonna like you know start to wrap things up and all that but yeah it's, it's a tremendously difficult performance and she really really carries it it's not like a like what would be like just another generic performance in anybody else's hands and yeah if, if she gets nominated and wins you know more power to her of course if she wins for the right reason is anybody going to be saying oh no because uh you know she's the the first uh native american uh oscar winner of course we all know that that's going to be the reason but it's one of the instances where yeah she actually does deserve it you know is it going to be the best lead actress performance of the year i mean CBD. just just given the caliber of lead actress performances we've gotten this year, I say that it might probably get it by default, you know, especially given that this has been a much stronger year for comedic lead actress performances than dramatic ones, which is kind of insane when you think about that, because well, that almost should, never yeah. happens. I just want to give a quick shout out to Tiana Taylor in 1001, which won Sundance. And I think that's probably my favorite female performance of the year still. She was excellent in that and deserves an Oscar campaign. But they released that. They fucked that movie's release up. Sony Pictures Classics, goofy fucks. Yeah, I still, I still have not seen that. But I, I, uh, what's it called? But, but you would say it's worth watching, right? Oh, for sure. She's incredible in it. Yeah. Got it. All right. I will, I will definitely be sure to, um, uh, to, to, to watch that one. But yeah, um, what, what's Blackberry called? Blackberry first. <laughs> Trust me, that's on the list. It's, it's Blackberry <laughs> first. Then it's how to blow up a pipeline, and then it's a couple other ones that I am not. Uh, that I'm not remembering right now. Ooh, At least I saw it. Oh, I want. I was. Are you kidding me? With the with, with how much you've been hampering on that movie, I, I there's no way I wasn't watching that movie the minute that it dropped. Like, come on. And the trailers were cool too. And the trailers it? were cool too. But it was just the fact of it's like it, it's just the fact that I thought that, that was going to be like an emoji movie for so long. But well, like about. And, bro, I, I, I swear, I, we had discussion. And then you told me what it was actually about, and then I'm yeah. like, oh, okay. And yeah, no, you want you want to talk about a movie that like just got screwed theatrically because if that had gone to theaters, oh man, like that might have been that might have been the return that we would have wanted. But but yeah, so it might have made money, yeah, it might have. But yeah, so like I said, um, kill, about this movie, yeah, and as far as like uh, I I think probably the most interesting element to me was again the fact that you're mapping, you're essentially mixing a crime story, a period piece, and a western all together. 
And again, it, it it's one of those instances where, again, I feel like a lot of the filmmakers that are really, really hitting it and understanding it are, um, you know, are the, they they, they want to mix up and and mesh and and break away from a lot of the traditional genre folds. You know, obviously you see Jordan Peele and Ari Aster doing that with horror. You see Greta Gerwig doing that with everything that she does. You know, my favorite filmmaker Corey Fe- of, of the new film brats, Corey Finley, uh, does that well. You know, even with Landscape with Invisible Hand, which I know you are not a big fan of. Um, but I, but I, but I, but I, there's a reason why I bring the, those guys up because. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, when Scorsese was talking about the behind the scenes, some of the influences about this, you know, it's one of the other reasons why he's one of the greats because Scorsese does not stick to his guns and do the same thing over and over again. He's always trying to, you know, uh, grow and, and and change his filmmaking techniques and try to make different sorts of movies, you know. And um, I get, you know, he even uh, uh, said that, you know, um, that, that he took inspiration from Ari Aster and some of the filmmaking techniques when it came to uh, uh, some, some of the film, some, some of the filming that he did for this. I don't know. Uh, do, do, you, do you agree with that? Or do you see where he was coming from there? Definitely. In the cinematography, definitely. Yeah. Beautiful looking movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, Robbie Robertson did this, did the music also. Yes, he did. His last and, one. Yeah, and he, he's passed away. Yeah. And sad. it worked too, because it's like, you know, I, there were a couple times where I was like expecting, I'm like, okay, when's, when, 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 are the, when are the hits going to come on? But like they were, it was very subdued. I, I really appreciated that. Again, uh, cinematography, the score, the editing, it's, it's all, it's all pitch perfect. You know, again, he's a, he's a technical master who did this one. Uh, Prieto shot this one too, right? Cause Prieto's yeah. done the last couple of Scorsese movies. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think the last one that he shot with, uh, with, with Bob Richardson was Hugo and Bob Richardson's been shooting the last couple of Tarantino movies anyways. But again, just across the board, technically sound, technically proficient. Um, now I'm, what, what I'm going to be interested in to see going forward is to see this movie's placement in the culture, right? Because as far as his last couple of movies, right? Uh, you know, post Wolf of Wall Street, which is like the last like big smash grab. Yes, that's the movie that defines this year. You know, Silence, I feel it like kind of flew under everybody's radars, even though that was to me one of the best films that I saw in 2016. Same. Irishman had its place, but I feel there were a couple things, you know, the, the Netflix of it all and obviously the Marvel comments and the, fa- and the length and, you know, because people were like, oh no, three and a half hours, that's too long. And the fact that, you know, people were saying, oh, Scorsese's done this type of a story before and all that. So I just felt like Irishman, there was a little bit too much baggage. So I'm going to be interested to see this movie's placement in the culture going forward. I feel like right now, the the some of the initial discussion is about, yes, it's like, you know, majority of people who are going to see this are younger people, which shows that there is still an interest in this. You know, the, the, the length seems to not matter as much. The opening box office, even though obviously it's not like a Marvel movie opening, but the fact that, again, 44 million, that's no, that, that, that's, uh, you know, that, that's no number to sneeze at, especially um, what's it called, especially given that it is his second biggest opening uh, box office ever, which I think is really impressive. I'll be interested to see. You, wanna, you know, I, I want to tell you the worst part of this movie. Actually. Yes. Hearing Taylor Swift through the fucking theater walls. That was the worst yeah, part. Yeah. I, actually, I'm glad that you brought that up. Because... Why is he still playing, Romeo? Say me and be alone. It's like, what? that came out when we were in fucking elementary school. Why is she still playing that song? Listen, man. Listen. Listen. She's she's a mega pop star. And there's a reason why her hits are still hits, uh, you know, all, all these years later. But yeah, you're right. Fuck. We were in elementary school for that. I thought that we were at least in middle school when, when that no, came out. But no. Oh, my God. That was wow. the year Kanye went on stage and be like, yeah, I'm a right, 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 right. Yeah. Beyonce had one of the best videos of all time. <laughs> yep. Yep. I remember that. But, but no, but yeah, I'm actually glad that you brought that up because I remember when, um, I, I remember when I saw that I'm like, oh, the era's movie is going to come out. 
you know, the Eras concert movie, and it's coming out the same weekend as Killers of the Flower Moon. And I was worried. I'm like, well, great. Killers of the Flower Moon doesn't stand the fucking chance out. So everybody our age is going to go and watch Taylor Swift, you know, in, yeah, in where, theaters. Where, if they haven't already seen her fucking a million times in concert already. But, yeah, right. But I do think it is interesting because you see, like, guys like Christopher Nolan coming out and saying, like, oh, because Taylor, you know, is such a big pop star and was she was able to surpass um, uh, 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 traditional uh, theatrical venues and just go directly to the theaters in order. I'm like, of course she can do that. She's one of the five biggest, most influential, richest, famous people on the planet. Of course she can do that, you know? So I just think the idea of, like, oh, everyone praising Taylor Swift is, like, oh, you know, a forebearer of the, of the changing in the theatrical cinematic landscape. I'm like, no. that I'm sorry. that That's not the thing because guess what? She is – you want to talk about everything that these fucking filmmaking people have been talking about as far as popularist entertainment destroying what it is that we love about the theatrical experience. I'm sorry. Taylor Swift to me is right up there with Marvel. She's right up there with Marvel as far as being the most the, – the worst kind of popularist – entertainment that you could possibly get you know everyone loves her i'm not faulting everybody for loving her you can enjoy it but i'm just talking that that every that this is going to be another one of those hypocritical instances where everybody who shits on marvel saying that marvel's destroying cinema but then turns around and praises taylor swift for fucking selling out seats in a theater when she's already sold made a billion and a half dollars on this fucking concert tour that she's made get the fuck out of here come on i'm sorry did Marvel really ruin cinema, or was it movie theater prices? Or, or, and, and every other know. sort of different thing that we've talked about, obviously, yeah. over, over the last 10 years. I don't know. I don't think it's fair to just pin it all on Marvel. No, know? and, and I've said this for and a while that, now, that, yeah. that Marvel is not solely responsible for that quote-unquote death of cinema that everyone that everyone's talked about, you know? I, I might shit on you sometimes and be like, oh, you love your Marvel and Star Wars, but I, I don't think they're fucking ruining you know, no. the art. You know, I, I do enjoy those as well from time and time again, you know? I, I enjoy, I really enjoy some of those. Some of them I love, but yeah. like, you know, I, I'm not going to judge everybody, that, you know, that, you know, loves those movies, you know? Right. Right. But I will judge hypocrites because I love to, sure. because hypocrites Absolutely. deserve to be judged. Because again, I, I, again, I had this one college yeah. professor back in school who I still love to shit on to this day because he hated every single Marvel thing, but loved every single Star Wars thing. And I'm like, yeah, Josh, you're, 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 you're full of shit. You are full of fucking shit no, and no but, explanation. And I love how we always try to back it up as like, he would always try to offer things. And at the end of the day, he was like, oh, I know more than you because I'm older. I'm like, nah, nah, that's not how that works. That's not how right? that works. That's condescending. At all. At all. No, it's it's just annoying because those people are being so reductive about like the Marvel fans are about Scorsese is like no, but Scorsese makes the fucking same movie over and over and, and over. It's like, and no, like, and it's like if you if you actually watch his movies, you would know that he doesn't. Hey, did you, you would know did, that he doesn't. <laughs> did you see Silence? No. no. And how would you know? Then how would you know? <laughs> like, what Silence exactly? Did you see Shutter Island? Did you see like, what Shutter Island? That old movie, and even though it came out. <laughs> The people who say that movies that came out in 2010 and later are old movies fucking crack me up. I'm sorry. You know that, that shit is hilarious to me. You know that really old movie with Leonardo DiCaprio that, that came out when I was two called right? Shutter Island? Like, okay. <laughs> right. And, it, and the, like, Leonardo DiCaprio and the Hulk, which I'm like, that's wild to me that Shutter Island predates the Mark Ruffalo as the Hulk. But like... Oh, and what's his name? <laughs> Fucking uh, from Iron Man three. From Iron Man, yeah, the 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 fake Mandarin from Iron Man three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, idiots! I love I love poking fun at idiots on the internet. You know what's I mean, funny about that movie? Dumb, like thirteen year old me saw the trailer for that and was like, 
whoa, is a young Robert De Niro in that movie? And it's Elias Coteas. <laughs> I was like, wow, the makeup is fire. In this movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, yeah, oh, but man. those people are just morons. Yes. Like that, that kid we went to high school with is talking oh, about God, like, how, that how, fucking how, guy. how Scorsese makes the same movie over, like, because he did four mob movies, like, get or four crime movies. Like, who cares? Like, no, they're the, the, all the, great. That, that like, guy to me is the definition of a guy who, like, has watched like five movies his, in his entire life and just, like, is that what, 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 what were those guys, like, top five movies again? Because I know you told me about that, but, like, when you showed me that list, I oh, his favorite, vomit. no, his favorite movie of all time is, like, Spider Man, no. Way oh yeah, 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 yeah. Which so it's yeah. like that'll tell you all you need to know. Like he'll, that tells he'll, you all you need to know. That's all he yeah. talks about is Tom Holland. Bandwagon hoppers is what I like to call them. Bandwagon hoppers. And that's they talk they shit about like the and he was saying like he was calling the Joker a pyro in the dark. What night. right? Which what, what does that even mean? Like, like he re- yeah, he was reducing him just down to a like he does more than just blow shit blows up, blows stuff or, up, yeah, or like fire or set stuff on fire. It's like that's so hilarious to just yeah. call him a pyro. Yeah. But going back to Killers of the Flower Moon. Right, I was about to say, I'm like, after that little tangent right there. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 it's good. Yeah, because we're, we're almost at the hour mark, so we're about ready to wrap things up. But yeah, as far as this movie's awards potential, yeah, it's getting everything, right? Picture, director, actor, supporting actor, whatever actor, whatever category Lily Gladstone runs in, probably actress, uh, adapted screenplay. Like, it's it's, it's, this movie's going to be right? everything. I, I wouldn't be surprised if this ends up being the most nominated movie of the, the movie with the most. It'll be between this and Oppenheimer as far as what gets, like, the most amount of nominations. You know, now that Dune 2 is out of the running. But, um, yeah, yeah, yeah it's going to be, it's going to be these two movies, you know? And, uh, it was one of those things where, again, I, I wasn't sure if it made my top five by default or not, but again, just, just for the, again, just nature of, yeah, this, this is easily, it's one of my favorites of the year for sure. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed every minute of it. Like, well, I'm, it's funny because I know we just talked about like how miserable and bleak and dreary this movie was. But again, I I, I really enjoyed it. It was just it was, it was thought provoking. Oh, yeah. It was intense. It was engaging. It was everything that I it was everything that I love uh that that I love about when I when I watch a Scorsese movie. You know, oh, what did like, you think of the radio play at the end? Would that, yeah, what, would uh, that, that was interesting, up? and I wasn't expecting that. That was definitely a different approach that he's taken to those sorts of things before, but I, I kind of liked it. It was, it was, it was a little, I thought there were, I, when he came on Scorsese at the end specifically, I thought it was a little bit, I'm like, this is a little bit self-congratulatory, but like not enough to like really be egregious for me. No, I thought it, it played right into the story perfectly. Cause they, they said it was the J Edgar Hoover presents, uh, you know, uh, the story of the Osage murders. So it was right. like, it was a great little wrap up and epilogue. And it like, like I said before, you have to really pay close attention to like all of what they were saying because it's moving in a very fast-paced uh, fashion. Yeah. Uh, that's the one part of the movie that's fast-paced. But <laughs> but uh, other than that, uh, I just want to quickly touch on a couple of the supporting actors that we get in this. The guy that played the cowboy that uh, Leo hires to like uh kill henry was his name yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, that guy was great yes uh the the country singer sturgill simpson plays like his boss like he was really good uh also uh and lewis cancel me or it can't sell yes. me yes. who was in the irishman who was also a standout in that movie yep. stands out big time in this and his few little moments and of course you get john lithgow and brendan fraser as the uh attorneys uh in the last 30, 40 minutes of this movie, and they're both terrific. It was great seeing Brendan Fraser chew some scenery, add some life into it, uh, which in a movie that's full of death, Indian Native American death. And uh, Jesse Plemons, uh, of course, 
Of course. It's just great. Just that's excellent. One of our finest character actors. Yep. We have. Matt, Matt Damon and Philip Seymour Hoffman's love child, and he just shines in everything. Absolutely. And I I swear to it's him and Paul Walter Hauser fighting for that Philip Seymour Hoffman belt. Yeah. But uh just one thing about Jesse Plemons in this movie that I found kind of hilarious in retrospect. Uh he was calling Leonardo DiCaprio's son a lot in this movie i i did notice that i and i did notice he's that like significantly younger significantly than, younger than like there, there's all it's almost a decade be, between oh, that's like, significant for me yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, that, that, that 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 i i do admit that was pretty funny that dude, that was pretty funny you're to me. calling him son you were the bully in like mike 20 years ago <laughs> <laughs> like what are you like oh my god wait he, wait wait movie. wait he was the bully in like mike yeah oh my god Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. So I always just think of young Jesse Plemons. I just think Friday Night Lights, you know, because nope. that's just like pre-Breaking Bad. But damn, that's crazy. Like Mike. Like Mike. Wow. Look at that. Him with the oversized Allen Iverson jersey and ripping it is classic. That's yeah. crazy. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. So with that being said, Dustin, final thoughts and star ratings for Killers of the Flower Moon. I'm giving this a strong eight and a half out of ten. Strong four out of five. This is one of the best movies of this year. That's uh, kind of faint praise, but I do very much enjoy it. I don't think it's going to be as rewatchable as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. I'm sorry. I'm a 12-year-old. But I do think this movie is excellent. It's definitely not top-tier Scorsese for me personally. Sorry. I just think Wolf of Wall Street, Departed, King of Comedy, Goodfellas, Color of Money even, Bringing Out the Dead, like the Irishman. They're just more rewatchable and interesting. It's good to see a movie like this, like Oppenheimer. I kind of feel the same way I did about Oppenheimer. Uh, I felt a little uh, more uh, angsty about the length when it comes to this movie. And Oppenheimer was more closer to just three hours flat, which I appreciated. But even that movie, I, I, I thought it dragged a little bit. But this one like and Oppenheimer both felt like kind of history book movies. Yeah. To me, yeah, and very it's good much to so. see that, and like Twelve Years a Slave too, which is a better movie than both of these. It's good to see those movies at least once because yes. they're important and vital, and th that shit fucking happened, and it's yes. awful. But it's good to know about it. Yes, eight and a half out of ten. It's not going to be as great. It's not going to be definitely as watchable, or definitely not quotable, as quotable as any of his other movies or better movies. But it's definitely very good. I agree. Oh, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I gave it a little bit more. I gave this one a four and a half. Again, it's 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 in my top five of the year, but it's it's not. You're you're a hundred percent right. This was not to me like god tier Scorsese, um, at all. Uh, like like it, yeah, I I agree very very much. So it is kind of interesting that that this and Oppenheimer kind of came out of the same year, and they're both kind of their history pieces. They're dealing with like the existential dread <clears throat> nature of it. You know, kind of like where we go. You know, Oppenheimer, I would say is like slightly more positive if you could give it even that you know but i guess just but i guess it's only just yeah. because the lead character is, is a lot more sympathetic at oppenheimer than the, than they are here but no I, I i agree with pretty much everything you said yeah four and a half out of five stars for me so with that being said people that is it that is our review of killers of the flower moon let us know what you thought we will be wrapping up shocktober next weekend with our five nights at freddy's uh review may also talk a little bit about pain hustlers which also drops on netflix Woo! next friday Dustin, where can the good people follow you on the interwebs? They can follow me on YouTube, Mr. G Movie Reviews. They can follow me on Letterboxd, Dustin Mason. And they can follow me on Twitter, Dusto. 
Absolutely. And of course, follow my, me with everything I've got going on <coughs> at Nerd Reviews across all platforms. Be sure to follow the official Talking TV podcast across all platforms. Follow us on Facebook, X, Instagram, uh, <laughs> TikTok, all of the above. Uh, what's it called? This episode will be available. Uh, subscribe to us if you're watching us on YouTube. Follow us if you're watching us on Twitch. This episode will be available tomorrow on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or any place else that you listen to podcasts. And as always, people, 12 seasons in a short film. And watch more fucking movies. We'll see you guys next time. Yeah.